We are very blessed to come together in the safety of this place without any fear of man to worship our God, to praise Him, and to sing hallelujah, what a Savior, and to partake of the supper that reminds us of the greatness of our God and the kindness of Him and the willingness of His Son to die for each of us. And we're glad that you have chosen to be here today to be engaged in study of God's Word and praise to Him. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to begin and where we are going to end in our study together this morning. Our study together today is a little bit different on two or three fronts. Number one, this is a two-part sermon, and so I encourage you, if you've not already made plans, to be here this evening for the second part of this sermon. Otherwise, we'd be here an awful long time together this morning. So I've divided it into two parts where we're going to look at five major themes on the subject of marriage, on the subject of making marriage more meaningful. Secondly, I want us to acknowledge that this sermon is different in that not only are we using scripture and learning from scripture, but the other part is where we learn from each other. And so way back in ancient history, some five or six months ago, you may recall that I asked you to fill out a survey, and many of you chose to do so, and I'm thankful for that. And so what I'm doing this morning is using scripture as well as using your feedback to construct a sermon that is not only good in principle, but I hope that is good in practice as well. And then a third observation that I want to make at the outset of our sermon today is before you write this off, if you are a widow or a widower or you're a single person or you've never been married or never having interest in being married, whether you are young or old, there are principles that we can apply that even though we're talking particularly about marriage both this morning and this evening, Lord willing, they are applicable to all individuals. The other thing is that this congregation is blessed with a number of younger people who are at some point going to think about being married. I know that may sound foreign to some of you who are very young. The idea of being married, that's just gross because boys are gross or girls are whatever. But you'll eventually change your mind and you'll eventually be interested and you'll be thinking about the idea of a relationship and of course as we read in Genesis chapter 2, God designed marriage as the first institution and as the oldest institution in the history of the world. So I want to look at five major themes. We'll look at three this morning. We'll look at two, Lord willing, this afternoon. And we're going to cover a lot of ground by using you. And this will be a little bit of a different sermon because we'll be using so much of the wisdom of those who are present with us this morning. Thank you thankful that you are here. Theme number one that came across as I was thinking about what makes a marriage more meaningful, what makes it more valuable, is that God has to be the number one priority. That without any doubt, God has to be at the top of that triangle that we sometimes talk about, that we'll look at in just a moment. I want to look at three passages here uh, to remember. One of those is in Matthew chapter 6, 
in verse 33. The context here is where Jesus is talking about the importance of trusting in him and not putting your trust in the things of this world and not being worried or anxious about the things of the world. And he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. That is all the other things that you could otherwise worry about or fret about will be added to you. So think about that concept as we develop our study together today. But as we do so, uh, fast forward just a couple of uh, pages in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So the irony here is we're talking about a meaningful marriage where Jesus says you actually have to uh, put your family last in order for me to come first. But the argument that we're making here and that many of you made in your surveys and responding on the subject of what made marriage meaningful for you or what helps you in your marriages is that God comes first. He is the number one priority in your life. And then a third passage to consider in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37, and this is territory that you are familiar with. But verse 37, Jesus says, you shall love your Lord or the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Now those three passages have a lot in common with each other. But one of the things that they do have in common is that none of them are about the subject of marriage. But yet one of the things that is universal in people's relationships that matter the most, where they say, you know what, our marriage is strong. We have individuals here who have been married almost 60 years, and they responded in their survey saying, the thing that made our marriage work and last this long is that God was number one, that he was the priority in our family and the priority in our marriage. A meaningful marriage is one where both the husband and the wife both believe and practice that God is their number one priority. And so we understand that God has to come first. Thinking about that, we need to acknowledge that long before a marriage starts, this needs to be addressed. And what I mean by that simply is that you can't think about being married and then a year or two or three in your marriage, then God has to come first. Now, certainly putting God first at any point in one's marriage is going to be a better uh, shot at success than otherwise. But parents are responsible for making sure that this is taught to their children in Proverbs chapter 22, that ancient wisdom of Solomon, we find that statement that is made by Solomon that you are likely familiar with, where he says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The other thing that we need to appreciate is this. Service to one's mate cannot be more important than service to God. 
And so if you really want to have a marriage that is meaningful, God comes before your husband, God comes before your wife. And that is true in the way that you treat each other, and that is true in the way you model that behavior for your children. That is true in a number of practical ways. Let me suggest just two. One is attendance at Bible classes and worship services. That needs to be automatic for us as Christians and for us as parents and for us as husbands and wives. The same is true when it comes to choices of re, uh, regarding social activities that God has to come first as well. Let me suggest to you to put it this way, and that is if a husband and a wife love God first, the application of the golden rule, which we read back in Matthew chapter 22 or made reference to, becomes much easier to uh, achieve. Note if you were the triangular principle, and maybe you can see this, maybe you cannot. And those of you that are uh, either live streaming, unable to see this very clearly, or those of you in the parking lot, is a triangle where God is at the apex. And then on one side is the man, and on the other side is the woman. And this triangular principle points out that not only is marriage a combination of three individuals, but it's the idea of the closer the man gets himself to God, and the closer the woman gets herself to God, the more likely it is that the two of them grow closer together. But the further away from God that you move, the less likely it is that you are close to one another. And so we have to acknowledge that his focus is on God, that her focus is on God, and that the two then draw themselves closer together. And so we turn our attention to see what you all had to say on this particular subject. And this is one of the, the comments that was made by a, I believe it was a female that made this. Yes, a female member of our congregation. Everyone will remain anonymous. And so no one will be pointed out as to who you are. But this particular female has been married for over 40 years. She says, pray each day that both may be the spouses you should be to one another. Strive to give 100% to your marriage and focus on the positives, not on the negatives. Realize that God has given you and your spouse a role to fulfill and put his will as first in your life together. That's a woman's perspective of over four decades of marriage. Compare that, if you would, to a man's perspective. Now, you may find it uh, interesting that sometimes the man's comments are a little shorter than the woman's comments in the surveys that were filled out. I'm not sure what that says. It says that women have a lot more wisdom than those of us who are men. We're pretty simple the way that we approach things. But the women uh, are, are well-versed in great uh, ways of communicating this. Someone once said that a marriage or that a woman is a marriage manual that is the best marriage manual that you can use. I would say it's the second best marriage manual. Uh, the first, of course, is the scripture itself, as we'll talk about a little bit later. Never underestimate the power of communication. Learn and apply God's will or God's principles. And that's a man who's been married for half a century. Think about that. We have in our congregation a number of individuals who've been married for half a century, and the wisdom that they are able to provide is indeed worthwhile. When God comes first, things are easier, this particular individual has to say. 
I'm tempted to say the biggest surprise was how easy marriage was. So many people talk about how hard marriage is, and I have never felt that way in our marriage. And this is a female that's been married for about nine years. Uh, most of the people are uh, sent in their surveys anonymously, which was fine. Some people sent them in, and I know who they are, and I'll try my best not to look at them when I read those messages and give it, <laughs> give it away as to who is saying what. Uh, but these are, these are real thoughts of real Christians in our congregation who feel this way about their husbands or their wives or about the concept of marriage in general. The best thing my husband does for me is that he loves me for, I should say, who I am, and he keeps me focused on God. Almost 50 years of marriage. Keeps my focus on God. One of the great things that husbands and wives can do for each other is to keep that focus where it needs to be, because after all, God has to come number one. This person, uh, married for 35 years, said the best thing my husband does for me is that he takes care of me and the family. He is a leader, and it's nice to know that he is going to do all the things a husband should. This particular woman, a different individual, as I recall, after 35 years of marriage, says, follow God's plan. The all-wise, all-knowing Father designed marriage for our good, and it is a beautiful thing when we apply his precepts and just trust him beyond trusting ourselves. A man who was married for 40, and still is married for 40 years, uh, made this particular statement. He says, I knew I was marrying a person that loved the Lord, and I had to know that before we got married. There are people who do convert their spouses, and there's biblical principle for doing so after the I do's are said. But the greater success transpires when you set that as a priority before your marriage. And that's what this particular person is arguing here. A woman who's been married for a little over a decade said, when you keep your house, you can see how fast I was, I was trying to type all these different things in here. Household Christ-centered and implement a Christ-like attitude. You will each be loving Selfless, sacrificial, gentle-spirited, dedicated, forgiving, peaceful, protective, trustworthy, and thankful. I thought that was nice, the way that that was written. A man who's only been married for two years but already has a lot of wisdom says, with the coronavirus and isolation associated with it, we have really had time to focus on our relationship with each other and God, and things are really clicking. God has to come first. A man who's been married 40 years says this, In all things we look to God for his will. Neither of us dwell on our foolishly spent youth, but we see it as a great classroom and warning. We are truly living our lives, as Solomon wrote, and enjoying our lives with the love of our youth. And then he commented, at age 70, God is even stronger in our marriage. And wouldn't it not be nice to make that as our goal, that each year we get closer to our 30th and 40th and 50th anniversaries and 60th anniversaries, as some of you are now approaching, that we get closer to God and our marriage becomes stronger 
as a result of it. A man who has been married for 35 years wrote the following. He says, I believe that having a godly wife and then later becoming a Christian myself, so this person was not a Christian at the time of his marriage, of their marriage, are the only things that saved our marriage. Growing older meant more time spent in God's word, which truly has the power to transform us if we will let it. The more we learn from God's word, the more we should change in order to be pleasing to God. So those are all things that individuals in our congregation have written about the subject of God coming first. Remember those three passages, Matthew 6, Matthew 10, and Matthew chapter 22, that remind us that God comes first in our lives as Christians and certainly in our marriage relationships. A second theme of the five that we'll talk about is that individuals who talked about marriage being a successful thing, and they said, you know what, we've had a successful marriage of 30 or 40 or 50 years, or even two or three or four years, is that we understood the importance of being one. Again, there are some anchor passages that we can use to talk about this. One of those is in Genesis chapter 2. I want to reread not just the whole text that our brother read for us a few moments ago, but just read that one verse, which is timeless. It is a verse that is used in a number of marriage ceremonies or celebrations where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A few weeks ago in our Wednesday night study, we talked about the King James Version or the ASV, the idea of there should be a leaving and there should be a cleaving in a marriage relationship. Jesus reflected on the permanency of marriage in Matthew chapter 19. Of course, the context was the question that was asked of him. And he answered, he says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder or to separate. And then a third passage that came to mind and that some of you have referenced as being important, well, more on Bible passages that matter, is Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 28. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Let us understand that when we talk about marriage being one, that a meaningful marriage is one where both the husband and the wife see themselves as a true union. And that's the, the key word, that God joined together and that they are committed to making last a lifetime. You see, when you make a promise to your spouse that I will love you forever, and you make those statements on your wedding day, you're doing that not just in the sight of your friends or your family or a justice of the peace or a preacher man, 
But you're making that promise in God's sight. And he takes those vows seriously as we must as well. Because we have to understand that divorce should never be in the marriage lexicon for those considering marriage. Put it another way, you can't go into marriage and say, well, in the event that it doesn't work out, there's always divorce. I have said that the DVR should never be used in a marriage. D stands for divorce. You never talk about divorce, and you never joke about divorce. There's no reason to ever say, well, if this doesn't work out, you get into a little bit of an argument. We can just get a divorce. No. Never should that be in the vocabulary of us as Christians. V, violence. There's never violence. It's never appropriate to threaten violence or to use violence, whether that be with a fist or with one's words. And then a third thing, and this is from the book of Second Opinions, a book that I quote from from time to time, is R. If you choose to, now I understand sometimes you've got to take a ring off for your work, for safety precautions, or to have it cleaned, or uh, maybe if you are expecting a child, you say, that's got to come off because I'm getting swollen, or whatever the case may be. But you never take the ring off in anger. That's the book of second opinion. That's just my opinion. But if I'm counseling someone, I say you never use the DVR. Never talk about divorce. Never use violence or threaten violence. And you never remove the ring in anger. Now, that being the case, we understand that in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, that God has a strong opinion about divorce. We understand that he hates divorce. And we also understand that a commitment in marriage is truly a commitment for life. And that has an appropriate attitude. It reminds me of the woman who had been married for 65 years and someone said to her, Really, you never considered divorce? She said, no, absolutely not. Murder a couple of times, but never divorce was a part of our vocabulary. A refusal to act in any way that would justify divorce. And I put that in an asterisk because there's no justification for divorce according to the, the gospel message except for one cause. Wherein sexual immorality, unfaithfulness, and fornication has transpired as we see in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. But we need to make sure that we divorce-proof our relationships, that we act accordingly, that we guard our eyes, that we guard ourselves, because marriage is all about being one. Because marriage is a union, husbands and wives have to consider each other instead of just themselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 is one of these kind of famous passages, the entire 7th chapter. But it says in verse 32, I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried, he says, cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Note, if you would, also the point in Ephesians chapter 5, where we read a few moments ago, and the phrase is used there, as the Lord cherishes the church, so must a husband cherish or love his wife. Here's what a woman in our congregation had to say on the subject. She said, the earlier issues in marriage have long been resolved as we more and more become one. 
So through time and four decades plus of marriage, they've learned to deal with their differences and become more like one. Similarly, one of our members made the statement, adjusting to living together was one of the biggest challenges in marriage. Having the responsibility of taking care of a house, bills, and cooking, especially since I didn't know how to cook or even plan a meal. I think the first five years are learning years, this person had to say. A woman of 35 years marriage said, we have become better team players through the years, and I don't always have to be right. In response to how challenges have changed through time in marriage, a woman who'd been married, or who's been married for 30 years says, coming together on parenting methodologies and loving your kids but remembering your love for each other must be first in order to show your kids loving parents who love each other. And I thought that was a very wise statement. One of the greatest gifts that we can provide to our children as husbands and wives is to be good husbands and wives and to model that kind of behavior. And as much as it might be a little uncomfortable for you at age 10 or 11, it's okay to see your mom and dad hug or kiss or hold hands, even if that looks a little awkward to you. A man who's been married for 35 years said, learning to properly communicate and adjusting my immature thinking to live with understanding is what has worked for him. And that brings us to our third and our final observation. And that is, in filling out surveys and talking about marriage, one of the things that came across to me, and so I said, I'm going to do a whole five to ten minute segment just on this, is that you appreciate the Bible. And you appreciate the Bible's teachings. The absolute best place to seek marriage advice is in Scripture. Better than any book, better than any therapist, better than any brother or sister in Christ who sometimes may be well-intentioned but may give you poor advice. Someone once called it the $5 marriage counselor. I was at the Dollar Tree a few weeks ago and I saw that there's a $1 marriage counselor now available. For a dollar, you can get a Bible. These days, it's free on any app or the websites that you can use. So there's no excuse for not having the Bible in front of you. A female who's been married for 40 years said the following. She said, the passage that means the most to me in my marriage is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, where the text says, nor was man created for woman for woman, for man. She says, I have to remind myself that I shouldn't expect him to conform to my wishes or ideas. God made me to be his helper, not the other way around. I thought that was kind of an interesting perspective that I would share with you. Someone else said the passage that mattered most to them was Philippians 4, verse 11. Now, this was in response to what passage helps you in your marriage, particularly. And some of them were about marriage. Some of them were about other things. He says in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state to be content. This particular woman of 40 years in marriage says, be thankful for every day, even when challenges may come, 
Be content with the spouse God has blessed you with. Someone else, actually a number of individuals, said the favorite passage for him or the favorite passage for her was 1 Corinthians 13. The classic verses that talk about love not behaving rudely, not being selfish, not being puffed up, but bearing all things, hoping in all things. It's a good reminder of how we should show love, kind, patient, without envy or arrogance, not irritable. Incidentally, a woman who's been married nine years, a woman who's been married 10 years, a man who's been married 35 years, all on their own pointed to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as the key passage in their marriage. Marriage, see the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, a woman of 35 years says it reminds us of our roles, that there is something greater and bigger than the two of us in marriage. And yes, we need to remember that it's not just about me and you. It's not just about those two, but it is about the three. It's about all individuals being involved in that marriage relationship. Psalm 127, verse 1, reads the following. Psalm 127, verse 1. And this particular woman says, God has to be at the center. And the text there says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And incidentally, her husband, who responded, said, Philippians 2 is by far the passage that best exemplifies what marriage should be like, where, of course, Paul says, esteem others better than yourself. Proverbs 4, verse 23, is a text that a man who'd been married for just a couple of years says, and in Proverbs chapter 4, in verse 23, there Solomon says the following. He says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. He said, I believe this passage reminds us to watch out for those things and to use wisdom in not letting things build in our hearts. Genesis 2, which was our scripture reading this morning, is a favorite passage of a woman who's been married for about three years. It is so easy to rely on your parents for advice. And I try to remind myself that my husband is my partner. He is the one that I have joined to. Certainly, again, something to be said for leaving and cleaving. And then two final passages that are of interest. One is Genesis 2, verse 18. A man who's been married for over four decades says, At this point in our lives, she is the balance in my life. We both help each other, supplying needs the other has but may not be able to do. And similarly, a husband of 35 years quoted Proverbs 5 and verse 19, where the writer says, As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Talks about being enraptured with her love. That love can come in many forms, but the word means to be intoxicated or captivated. And so this man says, I'm captivated by my wife. I love her that much that I am almost intoxicated by her. I thought those were interesting things that I wanted to pass along to you, and I appreciate those of you that chose to respond, and I appreciate that we can all learn, not just from Scripture, but from each other. One of the things that David Neal talked about in one of his sermons in our most recent gospel meeting was coming together to provoke one another, to stimulate one another. 
And I hope that this lesson has done that. For those who are married, continue to remain in strong marriages. For those of you that have been married but you've lost your mates, use the great advice that you have to share with others. For those of you that have never been married or never choose to be married, the fact is, is being godly and putting him first and seeing what the Bible has to say is always the most valuable. And finally, to those of you who are younger or those of you who are engaged to be married or hoping soon to be engaged to be married or thinking about being engaged to be married or thinking that sometime in the next 10 years I'd like to be married. The fact is, is these things matter. We go back to Matthew 6, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We will, Lord willing, look at two more themes tonight, where we talk about the spouse being valuable, and then we talk about the importance of being thoughtful and kind in a relationship. If you are here and your marriage is struggling, we have the tools to help you with that marriage. If you're here and your life is struggling, the same tool book is here that will help you with your life. As we talked about in our Bible class this morning, and what a good class it was, we said that we are not here to uh, help you with all of the social needs or physical needs of life. But the purpose of the church is spiritual. It is the pillar and the ground of the truth, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so we're here to offer you the truth, offer you an opportunity that is granted by Jesus to be saved by his blood, which he shed for you. And you can make your life more meaningful consequently. If we can help you to become a Christian by being baptized, or if your life is not where it needs to be and you want us to pray for you and to pray with you and to help you spiritually, whether it be in your marriage, in your life, in your workplace, whatever the case may be, if we can help or assist, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.